0: the Youthscape podcast, a podcast for Christians who work with young people. to another edition of the Youthscape Podcast with me, Martin Saunders, and my friend Rachel Gardner, who's just made us re-record this introduction because <laughs> she's dropped an innuendo. And I, 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 I just we won't we won't dwell on it. But I've I've worked with you now for a number of <laughs> oh years, dear. and I never I never grow tired or surprised at your ability to accidentally say it something is
1: accidental. You don't world. mean to say something no, really rude. I'm actually incredibly prudish. Yeah. Um. But I do manage to. <laughs> You just, you are like, I like, just a magnet for it. So, an
0: innuendo magnet.
1: So, there we go. So, this is going to be super clean intro. Hello, everybody. We're so glad that you've joined us. And everyone's like, What was it? What was it? Oh, no. Did we get it on the Patreon? No, you don't get it on Patreon, <laughs> but do Patreon. join patreon.com. Could you imagine that if the Patreon
0: <laughs> all we did was like rude outtakes? <laughs>
1: I think it'd be very popular. But anyway, welcome, Martin. Well, how thank are you doing? You. And do you
0: know what? That what? I'm not going to say what it was. No but it, good. But, but it was about because you had some nuts. And so <laughs> people can fill in the blank. And, and what that made me think was. Yes, what? You asked me a couple of weeks ago in the summer, how do I know it's summer? Yeah. I'll tell you one way I know it's summer. I always have a weird diet thing going on. I always get to this stage every summer where I have to go to the drawer and get out all my t shirts and yeah, shorts, shorts and everything's a bit tighter oh, fitting. Yes. And I can no longer hide oh. in the in the baggy baggy jumpers and things. Yeah. And so every every year without fail, about July, August, I always go on some weird fad diet.
1: Do you do Keep Fit as well? Do you like I a do a like a bit YouTube? of Keep Fit. Do you? Not
0: like Mr Motivator. Oh gosh. But I do. I go I start running. Yeah. So I you know, I'll be I'm in the middle of my couch to five K at the moment. I'll Ooh. be back on the couch before you know it, <laughs> and um and 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 so I, every year I've tried things like fasting. That didn't work for me. I did a weird. Do you remember when I did a weird one that where I turned into like, like yes. it didn't look healthy at all. No, no, it was very quick. Basically, ate dust. Yes. Yeah, 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 don't yeah. do that. Don't it's no dust. good. You just put it all back on again. Um. Anyway, now I've got very into the microbiome.
1: Oh, do you, what is that? It sounds yeah. like it should work because it's so complicated. So it's it all to do me. with your gut. -hmm. And your
0: gut microbes and your microbial diversity.
1: Oh my goodness, you're a great one. This
0: is my new thing. So, um, so I've started drinking probiotics, and right, you, you can know, tell what are
1: probiotics because I, 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 I am one of those kids at school. It's like yeah. everyone's talking about this new thing tamagotchi, or whatever, <laughs> and I, and everyone knows what it is, but I don't know. But I'm making out I do. What is what's bio yogurt? Yeah. What so, is
0: it? So the tamagotchi is. Yeah. Oh no! Not the <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, yes. No, the probiotics. Yeah. So, uh, so it's basically healthy bacteria. So in your in your body, uh-huh. in your gut. You have about four pounds of, like, if you weighed it, it would weigh about four pounds. Bacteria that's alive, that is doing all the breaking down of food and processing and things. And sometimes, if in your in your childhood you had a lot of antibiotics, which I did, I had a I had a lot of antibiotics as a kid. Oh, seriously. Then later in life, you you might have a slightly less kind of uh, full and healthy. How
1: do we not know this? Gut this flora. is like essential info. Well, it's,
0: it's Dr. Tim Spector. He's always on TV. He's the, he's the expert in it. Is he? And, um, and so he, I read his book. And, and so I've started... So I was earlier on. We, had our, we did our appraisal you earlier. We
1: did. Yeah, we did have our, our appraisal.
0: appraisal. We did your appraisal. <laughs> I do Rachel Gardner's appraisal. It's still one of my favourite. That's one of my favourite calling cards. <sighs> that it's should be gruesome. my Twitter bio. It was
2: brutal. Can I, I do Rachel brutal. Gardner's appraisal.
0: Um, and, uh, and I was drinking a, a kefir. Which is like it's got about 100 million living things in it.
1: So while you were giving me an appraisal, your gut was going overtime. My
0: gut was like, "Hey, what's this new healthy stuff?
1: That's amazing." Yeah. Oh, that's great. I have to say, you look a lot more energized today. I I I've done so I've done it for about
0: a month. I haven't lost any weight at all. However, I do feel much better. For
1: you, actually, I have to say, you've not done the 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 post chocolate brownie. Not done the slump, have you? So are you just having a bottle of this every day? No, I I, I, I feel
0: social very coming on. You know, I'm not sure this is the point of the podcast. <laughs> but, but just so you're if you're interested in what's going on in my life right now, I'm taking a lot of probiotics,
1: <laughs> and it's working for you. Can I say? Oh, thanks. Back to youth ministry. But I, but the interesting thing is this podcast. I think in the in the 200 and something number of episodes we've done, we it does kind of ricochet around loads of things because essentially. Being a leader is about, it's about your whole life, isn't it? Oh. So actually, if we say our gut health doesn't matter to Jesus, we've got poor theology. Wow, you've
0: made that fit have, somehow. I have made that fit. You have crowbarred that <laughs> and you've given it some worth.
1: <laughs> so can we have a resource at National Youth Ministry Weekend about your gut health? But I mean, I'm I mean, I joking aside, I think young people's physical health is really important. Oh, so change. I love it. And, and actually coming out of lockdown, people's diets have probably been very limited. Yes. Very restrictive. So yeah. I
0: love it. Well, d- you know, that's a genuine that. thing. Yes. I Now I'm thinking about this. There's a genuine thought about like young people not getting enough fibre yes. in their How diet. And it? so actually it's really unhealthy for them. Yeah. And uh, And so in the UK, our poo is very, very poor quality.
1: Is it? Whereas,
0: if you go to certain tribes, remote tribes, there are tribes people who can because they drink so many fibrous roots and tubers, Gosh. they can produce a a, a, a poo weighing up <laughs> two to four pounds.
1: Again, Genuinely. this just goes <laughs> anywhere else. Yeah. This random info, can I can also Can you imagine, add they find it in the bush. In the bush. But can I also add to this disgusting line of conversation? Oh. Like many other parents around here, I am one of the parent WhatsApp group in my kids' classes at school. You and, and WhatsApp. one of the parents was giving great detail this morning about how she knew that her son, who was off school in my class, who is throwing up, it's not a bug, it's just probably food poisoning, because she was telling us in great detail about the quality of his oh. product. Oh, no. And actually, my initial reaction was, "This is how do I not know this info? This feels actually like quite important info." So it was both disgusting and incredibly informative, which I feel that this podcast so far has been both disgusting and we've, quite informative. We
0: found a new rich seam of content, which I'm I'm calling <laughs> Rachel on Mumsnet, and it's just a it's a running uh, thread. Oh dear,
1: doesn't it very much? And if
0: you're the people who are being interviewed this week and you've tuned in excitedly, yes,
1: welcome. Thinking, <laughs> We thinking, wow, well,
0: I'm on, I'm on the podcast we this week. I've told my you. friends and family. Yes. Who is this man talking about how <sighs> tribes people might do a, pou- a poo weighing four pounds? And who is this woman talking oh, about the, the quality of vomit?
1: And how is this good news for the youth ministry? How is, community how in is, the is this UK? even related? UK, yeah. But it will be related because I've got some fun facts about Lebanon. So every single Lebanon? episode, Yes, Lebanon. we didn't know that we were going. We are going to Lebanon.
0: Yes, because of course we're doing a series called. Youth Work Atlas.
1: Youth Work Atlas every single week as a different name. We're so excited. We are We are genuinely so very excited about these interviews today. Very excited. I've never been to Lebanon. I, I also put the word the in front of yeah, Lebanon. Yeah, why did you do that? I don't know, but I'm sure I'm not the only person that does that. I like so the I'm Seychelles. Still, yeah. So, on dubious WhatsApp groups. So, every single episode, the different countries and nations we've been to, I have done extensive research to find fun facts. So, this is a way of us just kind of uncovering a little bit more, don't take it too seriously, about the country. So, are you ready for this one? Take
0: us to the Lebanon.
1: To the Lebanon. So, every one of these slots has started with a mountainous thing. So, I'm going to get there eventually. Stay with me. In the Middle East, Lebanon is the only country that lacks a desert. On the contrary, it witnesses snowfall and even has ski resorts that remain open for as long as three months a year. Wow. My mind is boggled. That's right
0: amazing. Now. Mountainous ski resorts.
1: Well, uh, here we go. Lebanon, known in Latin as Mont and not very good quotes, uh, was the name of a mountain, and the Hebrew word Laban means white, so Lebanon is the white mountain. No. So I don't really know if it refers to an actual mountain, but Lebanon is the white mountain.
0: Maybe because of the snow.
1: Maybe because there's snow and no desert. So you think Lebanon, desert, you no, did. no desert. That story snow. paid off. It did, didn't
0: it? Let's have more. Okay.
1: More Lebanese people live outside of Lebanon than inside it. Oh,
0: Interesting. Wow. There's not a lot of people in Lebanon, is there? It's Probably a small not. 3 million, 4 million population.
1: Oh, I didn't check the numbers, actually. That would have been helpful. But here are some famous Lebanese people. Go on. Amal Clooney, married to George Clooney. Oh, yes, of course. Mika! Oh, Mika. Mika, whose song in The Good sort of Wife was just... I, mean, I want him to come back, though. He was amazing. Shakira. Me and Amy. Shakira? Shakira. Now, well, we found a tenuous link. She kind of has some links with Lemonen. More than just she likes it. She's got some relatives, doesn't she, Amy? You were chatting to her recently. What did Shakira <laughs> tell you about I, her links? Amy, well, save this.
3: <laughs> when uh, Rachel was gathering her, fun fact earlier... I did that thing where I was like, oh, Shakira's from Lebanon and felt very confident about it. And then I looked it up and it's not exactly true. She's Colombian, but her father's family grew up in Lebanon or her father grew up there or something. The only reason I thought that is because my Lebanese friend has told me before very proudly that Shakira was Lebanese. So I just... Assumed that it was true, but no, no, it's, it is a bit of a tenure. I, mean, I wasn't
1: really interested in you checking it because it, it's <laughs> enough for me that you say it, Amy. Yeah, like, there she you go. Let's just true. confidently
3: believe that it's true.
1: <laughs> and then, because Kahil Girban, Lebanese American writer, he's very famous, isn't he? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that felt well flat. Well done. It? That, felt, we that felt like you were
0: really trying to scrape the barrel. <gasps> yeah.
1: But the Lebanese capital was home to the world's first law school. So, law. I didn't read this quote entirely. The Roman Empire, presumably under Emperor Augustus, built a law school in Beirut, the capital of Lebanon, as one of the oldest cities in the world. That whole thing doesn't make much sense. Basically, law.
0: Law started in Lebanon. (laughs)
1: Law law comes from Lebanon. Brilliant. this, This next one is great. Oh, there's more. We all think that hummus originates from Lebanon, So do Lebanese people, but the EU, get ready for this bit of battle, does not allow Lebanon to claim it as their own. Even after, in 2009, Lebanese chefs celebrated in Beirut by setting a new Guinness record for the biggest tub of hummus in the world. Even after that... They're not allowed to claim it as their own. The
0: EU are the an absolute e- disgrace, e- aren't they? I'll tell you <laughs> what, I'm glad we're out.
1: Oh, there we go. That would be Lexit, wouldn't it, if Lebanon was out? Um, <laughs> How uh, could they even be in? I know, exactly. I have no idea. Politics isn't my strong point. And my final, final fun fact about Lebanon. Yeah. Amy has been to Lebanon.
3: Yes, I have. I went a uh, couple of years ago. I, I lose track of time because of lockdown. But yeah, Okay. I went over Easter, stayed with some friends. Oh, and it was beautiful. so lovely, and I've never eaten so much food in my whole oh, life. So beautiful, wow. so much food.
0: So I'm just processing this in my head. So you've got Shakira, yes, claiming she's from <laughs> Lebanon.
2: He's yes. a great fat, and, and you've don't...
0: got hummus claiming from Lebanon, and, and and actually people saying no, that's not true. But you know what?
3: The, gonna the dips
0: hate. don't lie. The...
3: Oh! No! of that one <laughs> took me a while <laughs> and the dips are good dips aren't they good
1: dips oh so i'm pleased with that. Place. <laughs> very pleased i would love to go to lebanon i think it sounds like a really beautiful country full of such welcoming wonderful hospitable yeah it's i'm excited amazing. To, yeah is
3: it good it's just such a beautiful country Yeah, yeah i'd like to go yeah yeah, you should go
0: well you prepared to we're, eat a lot of food
3: we're sort of
0: going today <laughs> because we're going not once but twice So we've talked to two different brilliant women, neither of who, we should say at the start, are Lebanese. um, And both actually come from the United States originally. Brilliant, brilliant people. Um, And they both are going to come with a very different perspective. So we're going to hear, first of all, from Annika. um, And she's going to talk more about the role she actually has with uh, the, um, uh, the Lausanne Convention. Uh, and the World Evangelical Alliance, thinking particularly about the uh, representation of young women in leadership, not just in Lebanon, but that's where her experience Mm, was. Excellent. Um, And so we're going to hear that first. And then later on, we're going to focus on Lebanon and we're going to talk to uh, Hayley, who's going to give us a different perspective. I think this is really interesting. So let's be really honest. We've done maybe, um, uh, how many episodes this season now? Nine? Yes. And I think this is maybe the... third and fourth females that we've spoken to and it was really hard work mm-hmm. to find female leaders um, you know at the top of organizations in youth ministry around the world like to be really honest there are great examples of that Martina we spoke to from Holland the other week uh, there are great examples but actually um, uh, quite a shortage and quite some issues there as well so we're going to hear from uh, Annika first of all and then you and I are going to reflect on that a bit so here's interview number one from Lebanon so Anika. so annika you are uh now i was just talking to you before we started recording you have a swedish italian name
4: mm-hmm.
0: you're from the states
4: mm-hmm.
0: you've been working most recently in lebanon
4: mm-hmm.
0: you're now in liverpool
4: yes so cool. tell
0: just give me just give me a sort of potted history of your Life and all those. I mean, you are the most international person I've ever spoken to.
4: <laughs> um, well, thank you. I, <laughs> my mom is Swedish, and she married my father, who is Italian- American, and I was born and raised in the United States. Um, I was raised speaking Swedish, and ah. uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm I felt very Swedish living in the United States. And then, as an adult, uh, I have lived in Spain, and then I went to Sweden, and then most recently, I was in Lebanon. Right,
2: and what and
0: why? Why have you been in all those places? Oh,
4: because I love to travel, and I've never felt at home in any particular place. Um, And so, I also am a Spanish speaker because I lived in Argentina for a year as a high school exchange student. So, left
0: that one out,
2: Argentina.
4: (laughs) So, I uh, did a couple, a a few years. I was in Spain for three years. My parents had just left uh, the United States to move to Spain permanently as um, missionaries sent out of our church in portland oregon where we were last living and so i was like heck i am ready to leave the united states after university i just i graduated and i moved to spain literally like i think two days later (laughs) um and so yeah i just i like to live in different places and um and i have two passports which facilitates that so i like to uh Take advantage of whatever possibility I can.
0: And now you are you're you're in Liverpool for an exciting reason.
4: Yes, and now I am getting married. I'm finally settling down. <laughs> that whole story. So I met a guy from the UK, and he lives in Liverpool. So I have joined him here.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. And so uh, also you've been you've been involved in youth ministry a little bit. So um, to just tell us about that. So most recently in in Lebanon when we first made contact. You were still mm-hmm. Lebanon. Yeah, uh, I right.
4: last week. Um, so I had wor- was working or have been working with uh, YFC Lebanon for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, my role was administrative. So I was assisting the national director with um, communications and, and grant writing and all that kind of stuff. But of course, the bulk of that was basically just telling the story of what YFC is doing in its various ministry projects and departments um, all around Lebanon and also regionally in the Middle East And so um, it gave me some insight into what God is doing among youth uh, in the Middle East, which is exciting. And um, of course, the needs are great everywhere. But I think particularly in the Middle East with a lot of conflict and most recently the Syrian war, there was just um, there's been a lot of uh, need for holistic outreach towards youth living as refugees in a different country. So in this case, Syrian youth living in Lebanon.
0: Yeah. And, and you, can you just say a little bit about that just to explain the complexity of that? Because um, uh, I, I certainly knew one of the directors, Maher, M- who was one oh, of the directors yeah. of, or is, it, is, it, is, it, is uh, he I've still the director? Yes. There <laughs> He's you go. Director, okay. Yes. So I actually know your. your, your
4: oh, okay. Your, um, yeah.
0: And he explained to me what it means to be asking a, a Christian in Lebanon to welcome a Syrian uh, refugee. Uh, in Christ. So do you, do you want to just explain what the complexity is? Yeah, of that?
4: so it goes back to the, the Lebanon Civil War in 1975, which uh, lasted for 15 years. And during that war, the uh, Syrians came and occupied parts of Lebanon and basically controlled Lebanon politically. Um, for a very long time, and the uh, Syrian regime was actually controlling Lebanon until 2005. Mm-hmm. So even many years after the war officially ended. And so during this time, uh, large portions of the Lebanese population were persecuted in different ways, politically, um, and professionally, and even religiously as well. So um, there's just been a lot of historic enmity between Lebanese and Syrians. Um, and so now when the tables were turned, so to speak, and now it was, uh, the Syrians who were coming into Lebanon as refugees, and now we're having to find refuge in a country that was actually quite hostile towards them because of what had happened historically. Um, this was a big complex issue, um, Particularly for Lebanese Christians, who of course know Scripture and they know that Jesus calls all of us to love our enemies and you know be good Samaritans to people that we don't necessarily love. Um, But that became a very real thing for them to to navigate and really have to allow the Holy Spirit to change their hearts and their disposition towards Syrian people in order to reach out to them and and offer them help um, and preach the gospel to them and just see them as people worthy of of you know, knowing God as well. And then hearing the gospel. Um, and so, uh, Mahir, my boss, he had his own, you know, spiritual journey of kind of letting the Holy spirit change his heart towards Syrians. And now his mission as, you know, YFC national director is to, um, have a ministry of reconciliation and really reach out to Syrians and not just Syrians, but also people from other backgrounds and even um, other sects within Lebanon because even Lebanon is, is a very fractious uh, society. So um, so really reconciliation is, is a main tenant of YFC's mission in Lebanon. So it's exciting to see how that's been developing over the last several years.
0: I mean, that is, uh, that is amazing. I mean, it's extraordinary to get our heads around that. Uh, first of all, by the way, I should say that we did have a rule that we weren't when we did this international season of the uh, uh, the Youthscape podcast, we weren't going to talk to any Americans.
4: <laughs> well, I'm uh, Swedish, so I will use that.
0: <laughs> so, could we just be, be all agree that you're using a Swedish passport? Using my
4: Swedish passport for this one, yes. <laughs>
0: as we speak now, uh, that that would be perfect. So. So, yeah, you have a a, a role, don't you, within uh, Converge? And you, you might want to explain what that, it, that is, actually, because people won't necessarily know. But, um, but particularly, I think uh, your role is around women and girls. Um, and I really wanted to talk to you because as we were putting this season together um, and we were trying to find representative leaders from all over the globe to talk about youth ministry, one of the things we discovered pretty quickly was Um, there's, there's a pretty strong male bias in leadership across the globe, Mm -hmm. um, for whatever, for all sorts of reasons. Um, and there are some nations where it would be easy to find lots and lots of brilliant female leaders who've been empowered to a leadership position, but in other nations, other parts of the world, it was much harder. Mm -hmm. And so we've had to sacrifice a bit of our kind of, I don't want to say sacrifice our integrity, but sacrifice one of our golden rules is always to try and have balance, Mm -hmm. gender balance we couldn't do that. So so instead we, we we wanted to have this conversation about what's going on kind of globally that that creates that story that creates that picture. Mm-hmm. And and what are some of the signs of hope? So I wonder if you can just start by telling me about you kind of your role and what you see globally.
4: Yeah, well, uh, Converge is a network of uh, global youth movements and ministries, and basically, it is a family of of people who are ministering to youth all over the world and just um, figuring figuring out ways of um, empowering young people on a grassroots level to preach the gospel. And um, and so it's not like a top-down hierarchy, like the, the leaders set the agenda and then the rest of us sort of follow it out. It's really hearing from grassroots ministries. What is working in your area? What is God doing? How can we help you? How can we support you? How can we learn from you? How can we share ideas? So that's what converges. Um, and so I was asked uh, just over a year ago to kind of head up the conversation around um, empowering young women uh, particularly youth and young adult women to to be able to lead and to be able to uh, walk in the giftings that god has given them whether that be leadership or other types of giftings um, and of' of course recognizing that um, in many parts of the world this is this is a very difficult subject to talk about because culturally it's quite A new thought, or it's a taboo thought. Um, But even in established like North American and European denominations within the the church community, this is often a very touchy issue. So um, so I was like, oh, yeah, sure, we can, (laughs) I can do that, no problem. (laughs) Um, I was like, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but sure. Um, And so I, I come from a position of feeling very strongly about leadership in general. I think the world needs good leaders. I think the church desperately needs good leaders. And unfortunately, I think there are many people in leadership positions, both in church and in secular society, who are just not they don't ha- they're not gifted to be leaders. They're not gifted to lead. They either get there because of their upbringing, their privilege, their status, their value, you know, in society. Um, many times it's because they're male. (laughs) Um, And so they just have this like culturally understood role as leaders. But, but if, you know, if we're putting someone in a position of leadership, who's not actually gifted to lead, then we're really causing a lot of problems. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're also dismissing and sidelining other people who might have that gifting, but are never given the opportunity. So, um, and that happens within the church just as much as it, ha- as it happens outside of it. And so then thinking about, well, why is that? You know, why is the church not um, being countercultural? Why are we not that different from our societies that surround us? You know, when God calls us to be holy and set apart and, and different from the surrounding societies. Um, and I think, uh, unfortunately, I think the church has really bought into what culture says, about men and women and what gives us status and value, um, rather than scripture informing us um, about God's idea when he created men and women and his image to be co-heirs and co-image bearers. Um, I think, Mm. unfortunately, also many denominations have been interpreting scripture in a way that leads us to believe that women have less value in God's eyes. And of course we use the language, of course, you know, we're all created equal and, you know, we all have the same status and value before God, but in practice, that's not what we're actually saying, right? Um, We value men's voices and men's opinions and men's abilities and giftings more than women. Um, And I think that that's just a result of the fall, (laughs) you know, how God created this perfect world in the beginning where he gave both Adam and Eve, a joint purpose, a unified purpose, the same mandate to have dominion over the earth and be fruitful and multiply. Um, It was the same responsibility before him. It was the same value. It was the same authority. He did not give Adam authority over Eve um, and he did not give Eve authority over Adam. It was, it was equal. And then God was the one who had authority over both of them and they were called to submit to each other and to God. And, of course, then Satan came and distorted all of this. And so we're living in the consequences of the fall, which is, of course, not news. But um, but the church, unfortunately, has bought into this idea that, that you know, the consequences of the fall is like God's new design or God's new purpose or God's new idea for the way that we should be living together, which is not true. That's Satan's idea. Um, and so, of course, we've been... Con- competing against each other and we're allowing Satan to divide us and to, you know, um, have us living in these broken relationships with each other when really God has called us to, you know, be restored and live in this restored idea of of what it means to be made in his image, which, you know, Jesus in his interactions with people and especially women was really trying to show and model. And yet, um, unfortunately the church hasn't quite caught on. I mean, some, you know, yeah. there's exceptions. I don't want to be, um entirely negative unfairly so but you know um there are just so many examples of of the church just kind of echoing what society says about about us so anyway yeah (laughs)
0: And and what i mean yes i mean first of all amen and i love the the deep theology that we've just gone into there um what are some of the barriers internationally that you you think we run into when we try to say no? Let's empower women to lead. To um, you've talked about the theological uh, kind of issue, but 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 are there some other kind of practical stuff that we run into?
4: I think a lot of it is culture, um, where for decades and you know centuries and even millennia, um, the church has of course sided with men. Um, and there have been male voices that have been dominating the conversation. And so there's just not this tradition of allowing or even recognizing that young women have a voice um, or, you know, sh- should have some sort of influence or should be able to, you know, flourish outside of the home and outside of ma- marital responsibilities. Um, of course, there's this push like, oh, yeah, women should absolutely have careers and work and, and do all that. Um, But they also need to be taking care of the family and doing all of that, whereas men don't have that same responsibility. And so often you're just sort of setting women up to crash and burn um, in a different way. And so, um, and I want to be careful. To not just talk about like women should be given a voice and women should be given more space to lead and women should be empowered because really it's about empowering young men and women together because we need to be modeling something that's different. We need to be modeling men and women leading together, um, complementing one another with their different giftings. Mm-hmm. Um, And not competing with each other, not trying to one-up each other, not trying to prove something, not trying to have this agenda, but just recognizing that together we really need each other. And together is the only way we're going to build the church and preach the gospel in a way that truly transforms society. Mm. Um, And so it's really important to get young men in on the conversation as well and model that from a young age. But it's also important. They need mentors to look up to and if really the leaders that they see both young men and women see are men yeah and again it's sort of like subconsciously ingrained in their minds that well ultimately it's really only the men who are going to lead
0: yeah now let me just ask you a question about that so um um but you know you know the whole idea of the billy graham rule right Mm -hmm. the idea of uh, male leaders protecting themselves against those you know those, the women and, and their the ways. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but but there is probably a, a a watered down version of that 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 tends to apply across all sorts of ministries where uh, men feel that you know they shouldn't be alone with women and that um, therefore what happens by uh, sort of by default is that men tend to uh, mentor and disciple. And grow and empower men Mm -hmm. and women tend to do that with women and the problem with that of course is that if all the men actually all the power is held by men then the only people who get empowered in the next generation are men Mm -hmm. so what without getting too angry what do you say into
1: that
4: that doesn't make me angry at all Um, I think that's a really great question and it's a it's a difficult one to answer perhaps without stepping on toes but I think I absolutely recognize where that idea comes from and it's not a, it's not a bad idea, but I think the kind of the undercurrent to that idea of that, like men should not be alone with women is that women cannot be trusted. Right. Women are the ones who are actually at fault. Mm -hmm. If the men somehow succumb to sexual temptation, Um, it's putting the women into the you know, onto the scene that's that starts making things unravel. Whereas that is, yeah. that's the lie that we're buying into. Right. Mm-hmm. And so for men to mentor men and women to mentor women, sure. But why not have, does mentoring have to happen in just individual mm-hmm. ways or can it also happen in groups like men and women leading together and mentoring young men and women together? Um, and I think it's important for young women to have older women to look up to and meet one-on-one. Um, that happens with friendships. That happens with you know, family members. That can happen with people in the church. Um, yes, but that should not be the only way or the only form that mentorship happens. Mm-hmm. Um, boys and girls, young men and women should be put together <laughs> in the room and say, okay, let's figure out how to do this um rather than separating the genders and saying like you're special so therefore we have to have you over here in this little special category like why do we have mixed groups and then women's groups, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> why is it always like women's breakfast? Like I understand, you know, men also have their men's breakfast and stuff. It's it's often like mixed groups, and then we have women's groups over here because somehow we yeah. have special sets of issues that we have to figure out. It's yeah, like, yeah. Not really, <laughs> I mean, yeah. sometimes, but not really. Like, um, yeah. and so mentoring together, like a couple can mentor a young man together. A couple can mentor a young woman together. Um, that way you're seeing that it's not just men with men and women with women. I think that creates more problems and more separation than there needs to be. I think
0: there's some great ideas there that would immediately be applicable for youth ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, so I love that. Um, last question, uh, you know, from your position within Converge and having a bit of a network, bit of a bird's eye view, what are some encouraging stories or encouraging signs you're seeing of young women being empowered and raised up? around the world?
4: Yeah. So I would say in my limited experience so far in this, because I've really only been doing this for about a a year, but I've been recently interacting with um, groups in uh, Africa and also some groups in Asia. So primarily the Philippines and also um, some young men and women in in Kenya and uh, Burundi and and just a few different African countries. And there are, there's a lot of hunger for this way of thinking this kind of restore what what I call a restored theology of a Mago day, you know, um, there's a lot of hunger for this. There's a lot of drive. There's men and women, both really, um, ready and willing to kind of bring this into the conversation and to challenge the accepted authority, um, in a godly way in a respectful way. Um, and you know, I'm seeing, I'm interacting with male leaders who are intentionally trying to bring women into the conversation and empowering them, and like are seeking them out. And so that's encouraging to me because it means that I mean things are happening. Um, there are really good men out there who really want to see women step up to the plate and want to provide a safe space for them to to do so, you know, that we're not just like saying, okay, yeah, well, you're a woman go lead. And then there's, <laughs> there's no real space for her to do so. So we just set her up to fail. Like there are men who are recognizing this and they're like, no, we need to change this. And so, and there are young women who are like, yeah, I don't want to be anti-men. You know, I don't want to just be this raging feminist. Who's just wanting to bash every person over the head. It's, you know, they're recognizing, oh, I want to be co-workers with, with my, my fellow um, males and, so that, it's exciting and it's happening in, the, in, in uh, non-Western contexts. And that's really exciting. And I think actually the West can learn a lot from them because the West has a lot of work to do in this area. And we think that we already have the answers because we've had this feminist revolution. Like, no, <laughs> no, we don't. <laughs> we don't have the answers. We can learn a lot from them.
0: Do you, are you hopeful about the future? Do you feel like there are good signs that I won't be... Uh, if I was to run this podcast series again in 20 years' time, it might be easier to find great female leaders all over I the world. I think
4: so. Now, I am a realist by nature, so I tend towards pessimism. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do I do believe just because I know that the kingdom of God is alive and well and I know that God's heart is for men and women to uh, live in harmony together as he originally purposed. And so um so yeah, just knowing that the spirit of God is at work, I do have hope. Um and I am seeing good uh, good changes in like attitudes and mentalities is going to take a long time though i don't know if we're going to be there in 20 years but we're in the right direction
0: i believe yeah so rachel this is going to be obviously an issue that you are very invested in Mm -hmm. and that you care about and over the years that's something you've kind of got hands on and and involved in but i'd say you know the challenges that people are facing around the world are in some ways still replicated here we still see female leaders underrepresented mm-hmm. all over the place don't we mm-hmm. um do, do you think we're making progress do you think it's time to sort of switch focus on other things or do you think we still need to be really intentional about empowering yeah women? So
1: i think i think we still need to make focus because i i think we're seeing probably a classic and maybe it's a bit of a crass um way to identify it but lots of women are leading on a local level mm-hmm. still when it comes to the the, you know, the positions of power, that still is largely held by men. And there will be a combination of reasons for that, some to do with theology, but much less to do with that and, less, yeah. and more about opportunities and what those roles maybe traditionally require and how women might think, I need to be the expert before I could be that. So there's lots of things yeah. that we still need to work hard at. Um, and also because we want to be saying to women, to girls and to boys there is no ceiling overall that you can become in Christ so it's not that we want to suddenly say every girl is going to grow up to be a leader in no, no, of a national youth organization but we want to say if God is wherever God's calling you and placing you you're, you're a leader of influence in that space and, and also I think this context where women are encouraged to lead probably has a healthier view of leadership for everybody because it's not about an alpha male or an alpha female view it's actually more about your character and your personality and the unique, way that you you lead. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to hear that there are conversations around the globe for what it looks like in in their context. And probably 20 years ago, Martin, I was probably a little bit hell-bent on everybody suddenly changing things overnight and suddenly doing it differently because that's the right thing to do. Women should be allowed to lead. And, I, and increasingly, I think we still need to do that work, but also recognise that different contexts are going to have different barriers to women leading. Yeah, yeah. And there's and there's probably conversations on a national level that we might not be having here mm. that the church is going to have to negotiate well and engage with. But my heart, I suppose, like yours, is always that the church is leading these mm. conversations, not being the last one to catch up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I so it's good to identify that there are some for whom theologically there is a barrier. There's a mm. there's a reason why they. You know, and these are people who take, like all of us, a high view of the Bible, a high view of Jesus, you know, and have come to the conclusion that actually... you know, women are not mm. able to lead in the same way as men. Mm. Um, and uh, and that's sort of not what we're talking about today. So I imagine mm. if that's you, you're probably not listening to the Use yes. podcast anyway. <laughs> um, but we don't want to just discount no, a, a, a firmly held theological position that you've prayed through and you know, all the rest yes. of it. But there are lots of people who are, are sort of, you would say they are theologically, they, they, they state a theological position of being, uh, egalitarian but they are functionally mm-hmm, complementarian mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for reasons that are you know um, complicated and and maybe not good enough mm-hmm. L- like and it's and I think we talked about it in the interview um, y- you know it's the classic Billy Graham rule mm-hmm. stuff of
1: yes men
0: and women yes must not be alone together yes and so actually Anna had some some great insights about you know, yes. uh, group mentoring and you know doing male and female groups together really good, um, but also it it shouldn't be beyond the realms of possibility for male leaders to invest in female leaders yes, and vice absolutely. versa. Should it? Like it's we distinct
1: lack of creativity, isn't? Yeah, it we there? should yeah. be able
0: to make that happen.
1: Uh, yes, absolutely, because uh, that's what makes church safe for all of us. If mm. all of us find ways to honor each other and create safe spaces whatever the risks might be, and we mitigate against them, we've learned that with COVID, hasn't it? Actually, we can be honest and open and say, actually, sometimes a woman and a woman working together, there might be a mispower dynamic and a man and a man. You know, this is it's mm. really unhelpful to see these things only through the lens of gender. It yes. doesn't really answer the questions. And I think Annika's right. There's the systemic structural problems. If the setup is a man, because he wants to be, Honoring and upfront, and and for good reasons, you know, for good reasons wants to put these Billy Graham rules in place. I'm not questioning his character wanting to do that. But he has to recognise that that automatically means there'll be lots of leaders that won't be able to access mm-hmm. his supports. But so what is he going to do about that? And I think the challenge often is that we've expected women to do the emotional labour to work out what then they do. They've got yeah. they've got to find the route, they've got to find the way. Uh, and, and, it, and for me, I find as a woman in my 40s, this crops up a lot less now. I'm um, you know i don't find that i'm prevented from doing things because of my gender when i was younger i was and i think maybe younger women are more at risk of being mm. removed ostracized seen as difficulty because of their age not just their gender but their age and all that represents but recently i wanted to meet with a church leader somewhere in the northwest um a really important conversation he and i needed to have and he wouldn't meet me without a man in the room and i and I wanted to email back to him, you are safe with me. <laughs> you, yeah. you, I promise you, I, you know, because actually I felt. I, I just felt heavily, you're actually questioning my character yeah. too. You're questioning whether I'm able to contain myself around you. Yeah. Um, and there was you know, 30 years difference. He's much, much older than me. And But that isn't the issue. Um, and I felt cross that I actually had to take a 19-year-old boy with me. Yeah, sorry, that's me being 19-year-old man. He was a man. Yeah, yeah. But I had to take one of my lovely interns with me so that I could have... Yeah. a meeting and that, in that setting I was like I am not going to put any woman in this position so I will yeah. do this now but I'm not going to ask any other woman to be infantilized like mm. that so I think there's some interesting places it, it it comes down and we want we want things to be better for, for younger people got younger boys teenage lads don't understand a world where women can't lead no.
0: and so translating that to a yeah. youth group context yeah you know if you're a, uh, a man leading a youth group, you know this may be an issue that raises that mm-hmm. comes up for you you know yeah. that there's there's you and there's another male leader perhaps and you might have a, another f- a female volunteer somewhere but but then in your group it, does that mean you're only going to really mm-hmm. see leadership through a male lens i can only mentor and invest in this gen- next generation yeah. of boys, yes. but the girls in my group, it wouldn't be appropriate for me to invest in a mental That's That's
1: crazy. Yes. We've got, Like yes. you say,
0: we've got to find creative yes, solutions. Yes, and we
1: can. Yes, that. absolutely. absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's not inappropriate to have gender-specific groups mm-hmm. as long as the default isn't gender-specific groups. Yeah. The default is that we do this together and we find creative ways to do it together. That's absolutely brilliant. So I love it that she raised that. Yeah. And I love it that these conversations are happening and that we can honour each other and there's a leader that I know, a male leader in the Northwest, who himself holds to a very much a complementarian view. He's one of the greatest champion of women leaders ever. So because he said, actually, this is my conviction of reading a scripture, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to stand in the way of someone who feels God's called them. Well, and, and it's an interesting because he actually challenges my ideas that, well, if you don't agree with me, then you won't want to ever support me. And well, he's like, mm-hmm. no, I'm fully supporting you. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting. It's way more complex, isn't it, sometimes than we realize. Well.
0: So that's just part one. Of, of oh, today's episode. Buckle up because too. because we're going back to uh the Lebanon now <laughs> <The Lebanon. laughs> the, the. you you've made me do it now the Lebanon um <laughs> and um the Vatican that's what I'm thinking of we're going back to Lebanon now um and we've got we're gonna meet our second guest and this time we are going to talk about ministry and the specific challenges of uh, working with young people and uh, both Lebanese and Syrian, and all those complexities contained therein. Uh, this is our second interview with Hayley. Uh, so Haley, the, the thing we keep saying is that um, we're not having America in this season of the Escape podcast, and um, and you are American, so we're going to have to find a way around that have you got any dual heritage or some other claim to a different nationality we can play on
2: yes so my my grandma um she has passed but she was full dutch um so that makes Perfect. me a quarter dutch and then i'm a mix of so much of europe so i'm a lot of actually british french uh, scottish yes. and uh Dutch for sure and I'm trying to think of anything else but I think I'm predominantly Dutch and maybe British right great so, yeah.
0: great, <laughs> great. Well, we'll, well we'll put you down we'll put you down as uh, as Dutch
2: um, <laughs> okay so,
0: so uh, but you're not in America so you're actually um, uh, in uh, Lebanon so what's your story what what's the journey that's taken you from wherever you were in Holland to I'm joking wherever you were in America um, to to hear now,
2: yes. Um, I so I'm originally from um, a very famous part of Holland, <laughs> Southern California, um, <laughs> the land of movie stars and Hollywood and beaches. Um, so I grew up in a smaller Irish town called Redlands in California, and um, I I came to know Christ truly when I was about fifteen years old. So I was a teenager. Um, And by the time I was 17, I knew God wanted me to be a missionary. And so at that point, I knew I wanted to be a missionary. I did not imagine myself in the Middle East, but when I was at my university, I, um, as part of my degree, which was intercultural studies, so that's learning about different religions of the world, as well as um, the cultures and the way that certain cultures have patterns and so forth, uh, I had to do an internship either with a missionary or under a missions organization. And uh, through a professor I was connected to Youth for Christ in Lebanon. So I came uh, for about a two month internship and in that time fell in love with the country, um, with the ministries that Youth for Christ was doing here. And um, I really found that it was a really wonderful fit to my giftings and what I felt as my calling and so forth. And by the end of the time of my internship, um, the national director here, his name is Maher, uh, he asked me to join the team long-term. And so, and then I moved to Lebanon um, on January uh, 2nd of 2019.
0: Wow, and so um, interesting time to be anywhere. Um, We might talk about uh, the pandemic uh, in a minute, but just sort of thinking back before that, so what does, what does youth ministry uh, in Lebanon look like uh, in, in what we call normal times?
2: Yeah, in the, in the normal times before, um, uh, for YFC itself or Youth for Christ itself, it has uh, within Lebanon, various um, outreach and areas of ministry in which we're working because there's such a large demographic of youth in Lebanon. So some of them are Syrian refugees, some of them are part of the more wealthy families and some of the private schools, some are Christian, some are Muslim. Um, it's a very diverse group of teenagers. So we have um, a youth center called the Manara Youth Center, and that works more primarily as like education and drop in times and for more Syrian and uh, like refugee youth. Um, but I'm part of a team that uh, focused more on school ministry. So we would do chapels within schools. Um, We would do discipleship as well, so have small discipleship groups in which we were uh, developing young believers, so that they are able to share their faith um, and grow more in that. Um, We did and still continue to do this program um, called Dare to Asks, so that's where we would go into schools. And in in their classrooms, we'd be able to have time for them to ask any questions they have about anything, and we tried to answer them in our limited knowledge. Um, So it was often stuff about the Bible, um, often stuff uh, a little bit more, like, philosophical as well as theological. Um, But we would get questions also about relationships and, um, like, why we need to well, uh, why our bodies are the way they are and so forth um so that was a really great way for us to be able to one have conversations with youth and two really get to some tough theological questions for them that maybe are hindering them in their relationship with the lord um yeah and then we also did some like service stuff with our teenagers and so forth but it was a lot of very relational ministry and um, relationships in person, spending time with them. And we would always do, and it was very famous. I would say maybe famous or infamous, depending on the team, uh, our summer camps uh, with teenagers, which is about five days of chaos and fun and Jesus. And um, teens loved that at the end of every school year um, or just general ministry year, whether or not we worked with them within schools, if we were discipling them as well. They loved coming to camp, and um, the mix of fun that it was for the games, as well as um, the really enriching time, because we would always have uh, someone come in and, as a speaker and teach them more about Jesus, as well as have discussion groups within that, and um, have time for people to share their story and worship and share what God's done in their lives. And, And then also run around in mud and stuff too. So they really loved that as well. And that was kind of our culmination of the year of like, here's the most concentrated time we have with teams to maybe share about Jesus.
0: So how receptive would you say, it's very hard to kind of typify an entire race of people, um, but um, how receptive would you say, your average sort of Lebanese young person? I would Again, we'll talk about um, maybe the Syrian population in a minute, separately. But Lebanese young people, like, do they come with those classic apologetics questions? Are they sort of uh, primed for a faith conversation? Because what we find in the UK is that that's no longer the case. Young people are no longer sort of even ready for that conversation. There's a whole bunch of other stuff we have to get through. So, so what is it like talking with your average Lebanese young person?
2: Yeah, um, it's it's interesting. So because faith is often a huge part of the country here, um, it's not as separated uh, in the culture, though there are like the different sects of different faiths. So there's obviously 60% um, Islam here. But then also there's 40%-ish, maybe 30% Christianity, but within that there's like Maronite, Catholic, um, uh, there's Orthodox and so forth. And then there's like a small percentage of that, that would be like evangelical. So a lot of the questions that we get from students, um, is it's kind of based off of some of theology and theological knowledge that they have, but a lot of them, their relationship is only as far as, um the real basics like they know they should pray they know that jesus died and saved them but really understanding and having like their own faith outside of kind of like the cultural faith and the nominal faith um is something that they get to a point of asking those questions and i think um it's not always as like natural for some of them but they have at least some of the like religious language um the church language if they grew up in the more uh Christian side of the spectrum. If they're from the more Muslim side, they at least have knowledge of Christian ideals and so forth because they, a lot of, it's so mixed um, within schools and within the culture. Uh, It's very mixed in that sense That like, everyone knows about generally what Christians believe. Everyone knows generally what Muslims believe. Um, So they have some of that language for it a bit more naturally, I would say. Um, But a lot of people think that they are saved, and it's like they're good, um, without really digging in and finding their own faith, and that's what we've found with a lot of our teenagers, of um, helping them to even see, like, oh, I really need to dig more. There's really so much that I don't know about God, or I don't understand, Um, and so that's kind of a challenge, too, of getting people to realize, like, oh, I I do need Jesus. I don't fully know him.
0: Yeah. So, um, we mentioned kind of the the demographics are are really complicated in Lebanon. Quite a small country, quite a small population in total. Um, But obviously you have this huge number of uh, Syrian refugees living among the population. I don't know if like maybe even permanently settled in Lebanon now, I don't know how that works. But um, so just can you just speak into that, the complexities of that a little bit and what does that bring into the mix of trying to do youth ministry to all young people across that country?
2: Yeah, um, and more on the demographic side. So I'll do kind of more numbers right now and then go into more the personal side of it. But um, uh, right now the population in Lebanon is approximately like four to 5 million people. Um, and then about registered about half of that, we have an additional about three to four million refugees, but that's not even registered fully. So there's probably double um, the amount that is registered. Majority of those are uh, from Syria, there are several from Palestine, there's lots of communities from Palestine um, that have been established, and they they live here, uh, but they stay more in their camps. um, And there are a lot of Syrians, but a lot of them, as I said, are not actually registered. Um, so many have kind of settled and this is where they're going to live and um, they'll stay the rest of maybe their lives because they don't know if they can go back to Syria. For them, a lot of them, there's nothing to go back to. Um, yeah. But the reception here from a lot of Lebanese is, uh, they feel very like overcrowded and um, with the number of refugees that have come and not just that it's i think a lot of the problems for the lebanese is that one we don't have a solid government to hold up not even the lebanese people uh, let alone Mm -hmm. those coming in with so many needs and so forth Um, but uh there is the real desire for the lebanese to um to want to help there's a sense of community in some sense uh, in feeling that connection of culture there's such a hospitable culture um, so it they want to be open to that to Syrians coming and so forth but then also there's that like internal struggle of uh, it's a very difficult situation here already economically so then when you add in Almost double the population and there's no work and everyone's trying to work and there's little food and everyone's trying to get food and and so forth. It causes a lot of tensions in communities and so forth. Um, In the historical part of it, um, there was a lot of backlash from Lebanese. Uh, There's a real need for reconciliation because Syria occupied Lebanon for a period of time. And, uh, so then when a lot of Syrians came, there was a lot of resentment from the Lebanese, which is understandable. I think, I think we find that in so many different people groups all over the globe. Um, and so it's, it's been difficult, I think for the Lebanese and in ministry working with both to kind of have a reconciliation. Cause there's this idea of like the other, um, and, uh, feeling like there's a separation in the communities, Um, like you have to do things very differently for them. Uh, Syrian culture is similar, but then also really different from Lebanese culture as well. So when you're talking to a Syrian youth, uh, it's less likely that you would sit and talk to them, for me in English, and about more kind of like Western TV shows and so forth. You'd probably talk to them more about Arab things, but depending on the Lebanese and their background as well, growing up, they are probably more, um, maybe more fluent or comfortable conversating in English. Uh, they consume more Western things, uh, more Western music, TV shows, so forth. So like the point of connection, you come from very different points in relating to them. Um, but that is kind of the purpose of our Monarder, Minard- Youth Center. Um, that does, focus on like education and drop-in. they are really trying to push towards reconciliation um, and they have reconciliation programs and so forth. Um, for for mainly Syrian youth to not take out on the Lebanese the rejection that they feel. There are not as many Lebanese youth that go there, but um, that though, the goal of a lot of our ministries is to bring together our different communities and um for them as they come into maybe a relationship with jesus or if they have a relationship with jesus to see people not as other but as the bigger kingdom of god uh, despite differences or resentments and so forth and i think kind of the younger generation is moving into that more but there is still a lot of um uh, i wouldn't say Racism, because I went. I don't think it's racism particularly, but there's a lot of prejudice against um, yeah. the Syrians and uh, Syrians against the Lebanese and so forth. So it's a very uh, big house divided in a small little country, but with so yeah. many people, yeah.
0: And and so uh, you you probably noticed this, but thrown into that mix has been a global pandemic. Um, So, um, so how has that changed things? What has been the impact of, uh, COVID on, um, on, on, on your ministry?
2: Yeah. Um, it's been a huge impact on us, especially, as I said before, we were such a relational ministry. Um, so much of what we did was in person interacting in small groups in big camps and stuff. And then COVID came and, um, we kind of were at a, a standstill. Everything that we did that was normal had to kind of be stopped or adjusted. Um, and that's really difficult, especially with teenagers where like so much of their life is spent online and on social media and so forth. To then become just another part of that noise um, is hard because the thing for us was we were so different uh, outside of that. We were in, in person, though there was elements to which we had online, uh, we've really had to adjust to be so much more online. So how do we come across them as difference? Uh, how do we maintain the attention of youth that are getting so quickly fed stuff to like have a short attention span? Um, and how do we develop authentic relationships through online? Uh, mm-hmm. So that was kind of some of the biggest points for us. We were like, how do we actually accomplish this with with COVID and with social distancing and quarantining and so forth? And um, we started out at the beginning of the pandemic, um, shifting a lot of our stuff online. We began devotional series that we would film from our houses. Um, We'd go through different themes each week. We would put out three devotionals a week. Um, They were about two minutes long. We'd also have first photos as well as like throwback photos from the yesteryears of what we all wish we could be doing (laughs) with teens or what they wish they could be doing with us. Um, We would do a lot of live programs. So then we could talk to teens through online, um, like either through zoom or through Instagram lives and so forth as kind of like little events. Uh, We would do game shows online um through zoom but stream it live onto facebook and youtube and instagram um we did as much as we could to kind of keep that yfc dna and connect to you through that um but what we found was i mean we still are doing online stuff which i can get to that but uh what like i noticed especially at the very beginning was so many youth were saying how much they missed the things that made YFC and Youth for, or Youth for Christ for us um, so special to them. And it's that relationships. They missed our worship nights that we would do once a month. Um, they missed uh, our camps and our retreats and getting to meet in person for discipleship groups. And um, they did enjoy a lot of our stuff online. But so much of what they wanted and especially needed in that time. And no matter yep. what their demographic was, was that relationship and something different, and people in person, and it was, and still is very difficult because we can't fully give that right now, uh, and couldn't at that time too.
0: Okay, so um, what what are some things? Now you can choose either, you can choose anything here. You can choose pre-pandemic, you can choose during pandemic, you can choose stuff that you've planned for the future or things going on in other ministries. But what what is getting you excited at the moment? Where's some life, some energy? Where's something that you feel? Yes, God's moving here among young people and we are getting excited about it.
2: Yeah, um, something that's exciting for us right now, um, that like I'm kind of being able to see some of the vision for is uh, we started a YouTube channel as a form of outreach um, in order to engage with more youth all over Lebanon. Because some of the ones that we have more personal relationships with are more central to kind of the Beirut area. But um, we have started this uh, YouTube channel called Menchufcom in January officially it launched. Um, but that means like we'll see you. and. Uh, It was very hard to kind of at first figure out a stride for it of okay where are we taking this what is we knew the objective was to reach youth throughout lebanon um and to not have it be super churchy not super christian but to develop relationships with youth outside of lebanon and connections to where then we can get to those conversations more about jesus um and so kind of finding that fine line of entertainment as well as meaningful as well as bringing in jesus but without being too upfront about jesus it's really hard to kind of (laughs) straddle those fields but um i am excited as we've been filming more and more and getting more engagement and growing this this channel um i am excited for not just the the reach that we can have but um the relationships that we can kind of see beginning to develop with that. So, um, even just yesterday, uh, we went and filmed and, um, we went to this lake that it's very big on social media here. A lot of people are going to it filming TikToks so forth. And, um, we went to kind of be like, okay, here's this lake that we've seen so much online. Like, let's go check it out for ourselves in person. And there were some teenagers there. So we were asking them like, why do you, why are you here? Why do you come and stuff? And they were like, oh, well we love it. It's so beautiful. It's nice to get out in nature and so forth. And uh, it was so nice. Cause we were able to, like, that was our agenda was to be able to talk to teens, like not just uh, because of our vlog, but like while filming it. and, um, It was great because these teens at first were like, oh, are you doing a YouTube channel? Are you YouTube? And so they were intrigued by that. But then we got to have more conversations with them. And uh, uh, one of my coworkers, Yusuf, was able to get uh, some of their numbers and so forth. And they were like, oh, we want to follow so then we can see. And uh, yeah, I think the potential for that has been really exciting for us as we've tried to see, the vision. it's been grueling trying to get subscribers and so forth uh, and building that outreach. But we know kind of in that long run we're gonna see what God is doing and using through the efforts and uh, can hopefully kind of bring together these people that are from really different maybe backgrounds within Lebanon, but to really see like what makes Lebanon so great and, and the culture that makes Lebanon as well as the God that created this culture and these people and um, the, the messages that we want to get across with it.
0: That's wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for, for sharing all that.
1: So here at Youthscape Towns, we're gearing up, all excited about the autumn. I always get excited about the autumn in the summer. And we're getting excited about the National Youth Ministry Weekend, which is going to be held in person in Birmingham in a wonderful big complex. People from all around the world joining us, a whole range of speakers. We've got exhibitions. You can get all those little goodies in a little goodie bag, all that stuff that we've not had for a long time. And Martin, anything you want to update us with in the run-up to the National Youth Ministry Weekend? There might be one and a half tickets left. We don't know. There's a
0: few tickets left as we record this. So you can find out, actually, uh, youthscape.co.uk forward slash N-Y-M-W.
1: Did you feel you need to reinstate that? Have people been mashing it up?
0: I imagine people do.
1: Yeah, blah, blah, blah. blah.
0: Nymw. Uh, and you go there, you can book your tickets for this November. It's the 12th to the 14th. Oh, can wait. It's so nice to be planning this event back in person. I actually feel a little bit like, oh, gosh, I know. You know, oh, about the idea of seeing everybody again. Essentially, it's like a big, it's like a massive family gathering. Yeah.
1: Do you think on the Friday, like the Friday afternoon and evening, we'll all be quite tender around each other and quite chilled. By Saturday morning, like, oh, no, it's you again. Like, we'll have, we'll have got over ourselves. <laughs> can I go back to Zoom? Can I just, can I just Zoom this? Can yeah. I sit in my hotel room and just Zoom? Do you think that might be the Maybe case? Maybe by Sunday. By Sunday. It's gonna yeah. be. It's gonna be really good. It's gonna yeah. be great. Yeah.
0: So we are. We're getting back to basics. We're getting back to the heart of youth ministry. The theme is first love, and we're exploring both our first love as youth leaders, uh, as as youth ministers, as disciples, but also um, the the first commandment that Jesus calls us back to is to love others. So. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about all that we've got planned. We've got some brilliant speakers. We've got Mike Pillavarchi. We've got the brilliant Sarah Bruhl who's coming in. She's going to cool. be a new voice to many people uh, over here. But she is phenomenal. We've got Aaron Nyagam. We've got some others I'm not allowed to say Ariana yet. Ariana Grande. Not Ariana <laughs> Grande. Uh, but we have some brilliant speakers. It's Shakira. Experience.
1: Shakira.
0: Uh, hummus.
1: Uh, it's got lo- actually, let's have loads of hummus. Yeah. It's such a sociable food.
0: Yeah. And I tell you, the other thing is we always give away three complete resources.
1: Oh, yes. Te- can you give us a little trial of these?
0: Ooh, I'm not sure I can. No, because okay, so
1: these are exciting. So every
0: year yes. we, we work with two other organisations and then we create one as well. So we yes. create three brand new full resources that are then for sale in the shops for like mm-hmm. 20 £25 pounds each. But you get it for free. But if you come, you get a little token for each day and you get all three for free. Um, and they're like of the next level this year. So because <gasps> we have had two years to work on them, yes. they're, they're, I, I don't want to go as far as to say the best we've ever done, but they're definitely the best we've ever done. Oh. So I'm very excited about that. So you get all of those free uh, on sort of, I think, Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday morning at mm-hmm. one each. Um, and, uh, and then just a great opportunity to worship together with the KXC band and some other little surprises and things that we've, we've thrown in. We've got a brilliant program of seminars. Um, you can do a whole bunch of training over the weekend if you want to.
1: Oh, So you great. can get all sorts yeah, yeah. of
0: training kind of seminars and workshops. Yeah. Or you can just go to the cinema and then buy the USB and then just get all the seminars afterwards. Get the
1: tokens and do so, the stuff. So, really oh, excited. It's a win-win. Win-win-win-win-win-win. Really We excited. can't... I mean, we mainly can't wait to see you coming up those escalator stairs and seeing all these people. I love yeah. it. So, guys, just make sure that you get your lovely self there. And I think we're going to wrap up this episode. We've got just one more... In this wonderful season of Youthscape oh, Around the World, but we've that. not named this one. I don't think this episode has received the Martin Rachel name. This one? Yeah. Didn't we
0: call this one Youth, Youth Work Atlas?
1: I don't think we did. Did we? Was that this one? has been such a sure. long episode. This has been I can't even remember episode. if that was
0: this one or the one before.
1: So we will say, if it, if it was the last one. Have you got a is, name for this? No, Youthscape Atlas Part 2. <laughs> if we can't, if we can't, <laughs> if we didn't name it. But I just feel that we need to biblically this name it. This episode. one could
0: be Youthscape Infinity War. Because then we'll have one final one. We can call that Escape Endgame.
1: Yeah, it had to go there. Youscape Endgame. I love it. Club-